0: Greetings and welcome to another episode of Canadian History X. Before we begin today's episode, I'd like to take a moment to talk about dogs. Dogs have been an important part of Canadian history from the very beginning. The first dogs to arrive in Canada came from Siberia over 12,000 years ago. They were used for hunting, pulling sleds, and as companions for the indigenous people who made their way across the Bering Strait. In the 17th century, European settlers brought dogs with them as well and like the Indigenous people, they relied on their dogs for companionship, hunting, and protection. Dogs have been some of Canada's most beloved heroes. In 1909, a Labrador retriever named Polar Bear helped the explorer Robert Perry reach the North Pole. In 1916, Canadians were captivated by the story of Bruno, a sheepdog who was rescued from war-torn Europe and refused to eat after his person passed away. In 1941, a Newfoundland named Gander saved the lives of several Canadian soldiers during the Battle of Hong Kong. Over the centuries, dogs have served Canadians in an ever-expanding variety of ways. Today, they work in law enforcement, detect cancer and COVID, help find missing children, and enable the blind to get around. But for most Canadians, dogs are much more than just working animals. Their loyalty, friendship, and unconditional love have made them part of our families, Countless dogs are beloved characters in Canadian art and film. Their stories have been told by such noteworthy authors as Farley Mowat, Lucy Maud Montgomery, and Stephen Leacock. They can make us laugh, they comfort us, they remind us of our better angels, of what our character could be. And perhaps that is why we love them so much. Which brings me to my puppy, Boris. Boris is a 10-year-old Irish Setter, Newfoundland Cross. The same breed as Gander, actually. Recently, he began hacking up his food. His bark became raspy, and he's having trouble breathing deeply. So I took him to see the vet. Boris has the canine version of Lou Gehrig's disease. His spinal cord will slowly degenerate, and over the next one to three years, he'll progressively lose control of the muscles he uses to play, bark, eat, and breathe. There is no cure, and the cause remains unknown. But there is a way to slow it down. With the laryngeal paralysis, Boris needs surgery. Without it, his constricted larynx will get worse faster, and he may pass away in only a few months. The problem is the surgery costs $5,000, which is well beyond what I can afford. So I'm asking for your help. I've set up a GoFundMe to pay for the vet. If you'd like to contribute, just click the link for Boris Fundraiser in my show notes. And if you've donated already, thank you. If you've shared, thank you as well. Thank you for helping us get a few more precious years together. Because it means the world to us both. Before we begin, I want to say thank you to Leslie Y., who made a wonderful donation to the podcast. I really appreciate it, and right now all donations and Patreon goes to helping my dog get his surgery that he needs The land where Indian Head is today was the territory of the Blackfoot and the Cree for centuries. The two groups would often compete for the territory which was sought after because of the bison in the area. The bison would move through the area during the spring and summer and they provided the indigenous with many of the things they needed for their day-to-day lives. Today Indian Head sits on Treaty 4 land. The first settlers to arrive in the area came from Ontario and were of Scottish origin. The Canadian Pacific Railway had not been built through, but it was going to arrive soon, and the settlers homesteaded in 1882. The same year the settlers arrived, Bell Farm was established near where Indian Head is today. The property was massive, stretching for 60,000 acres. It was such a large fixture on the landscape that passengers would often get out and come to the farm to watch the harvesting operations, making the Bell Farm the first tourist industry of the area. The buildings on the farm included a 16-room, two-story stone house, as well as four stone and two-frame, five-room cottages, an ice house, cow barn, and chicken house. The farm was divided into 200-acre segments, and a foreman supervised each of those sections. As telephones became more popular, phone lines were strung up between the 23 cottages on the farm, which was some of the first phone lines to be connected in the Northwest Territories. By 1886, the Bell Farm had 45 reapers and binders, 78 plows, 6 mowers, 40 cedars, and 7 steam threshing outfits. Along with 5,000 acres of crops, there were also 200 horses, 250 cattle, and 900 hogs. In 1887, a portion of the farm was sold in order to create the Dominion Experimental Farm, which was one of the first agricultural research stations in Canadian history. I'll talk a little bit more about that later. Eventually, as the 20th century wore on, the farm was divided up and slowly the huge operation became much smaller. Today, the Bell Farm, despite its importance to the history of the area, is one of the top 10 most endangered sites listed by the Heritage Canada Foundation. A campaign would begin to save the barn, and the Bell Barn Society of Indian Head was established in 2006 to restore the Bell Farm Round Barn. In April 2008, the stone farm was dismantled, rock by rock, and the ground was leveled to reconstruct the building. The barn has now been restored and many functions are held there through the year. I want to talk about the local history atlas. This was created by one of my listeners, Ben Woodward, and it's fantastic. It's this wonderful website where you can see a, a Google Maps image of Canada and you can visit all of the places in Canada. And within these places are my local history podcast episodes that you can listen to and One of the great things about it is you can add to it. You can put your own pictures in. You can put your own information. It's creating this wonderful historical mosaic of Canada. And it's a wonderful website. Uh, I have the link in my show notes. But if you also want to visit yourself, it's atlas.digitalhistory.ca. And we can create this wonderful mosaic of Canada's history. All of us. You can learn about Canada's history if you're going on a road trip. You can use this wonderful site to see where you're going and the amazing things that you can see, so be sure to check it out. In 1887, the Dominion Experimental Farm was established, as I mentioned. At this farm, work began in the research of crops and dry land agricultural practices. A tree nursery was established in 1901 to supply farmers in the prairie provinces with trees to use as shelter belts. This farm would provide millions of seedlings to farmers every year for decades. As for the experimental farm, it continues to run today and is now a research station that continues to help ensure Canada is at the forefront when it comes to agricultural innovations. The community of Indian Head began to grow thanks to the Bell Farm operation and the railroad that had been built through. In 1902, Indian Head was incorporated as a town and at the time was one of the world's largest initial shipping points for wheat. Now we can't go any further without talking about the name of Indian Head which is celebrated in a large Indigenous head statue at the community entrance. One origin story to the name states that in the 19th century, local Indigenous peoples were infected with smallpox by fur traders who came through. When someone died from the disease, they were buried in one of the hills to the south of town. Some said that due to the high number of deaths, several bodies were taken there but never buried. The Indigenous began to call the burial ground Many Skeletons Hills or Many Skulls Hills. As settlers came to the area, they began to call the area Indian Head Hills. When the settlement was established by the Canadian Pacific Railway in 1882, the townspeople called the settlement Indian Head Hills, and they offered the Indigenous a camping ground near the town to use the name. Eventually, as time went on, Hills was dropped from the name, leaving only Indian Head. I'd like to take a break away from the episode for a second to talk about ExploreNet i spent most of my life living in rural areas in Canada and I remember the days of dial up internet and spotty high speed service. For the past 3 years I have been a customer of Explornet, and I can honestly say that it is the best rural internet I have ever had. My job as a podcaster means I spend a lot of time researching online, interviewing people over Zoom and uploading content. Through it all Explornet has provided me with excellent service. When I'm not working I enjoy streaming content on several streaming platforms and even doing some online gaming with a friend in Ontario. ExploreNet allows me to do all of that with ease. Right now they offer up to 50 megabits per second on their new LTE network with unlimited data. Their service has only become faster and better since I first signed on. Today and beyond, ExploreNet is investing in building and upgrading the network at a rapid pace. ExploreNet is rural and that is their route and that is their focus. For more information about rural internet options in your area, go to ExploreNet.com or call 1-866-285-2253. In 1904 the Grand Theatre was established. This theatre continues to stand to this day. I have actually visited this theatre and it's quite amazing to see the original architecture as well as the signatures of performers who date back over 100 years. It is also considered to be the longest continually operated private theatre in Western Canada. The theatre was hand-built by Arthur Osmond and served as an opera house for its first years before movies took over. In 1905, Indian Head had a population of 1,500 people with 12 grain elevators, which could hold an astounding 350,000 bushels. Around this time, the Territorial Grain Growers Association was formed in Indian Head, which was a farmer's collective that handled the shipping of the huge amounts of crops out of the area. The first president was William Richard Motherwell, who would go on to serve as the Minister of Agriculture on both the provincial and federal levels. In 1912, construction began on the cattle barn at the Indian Head Agricultural Research Farm. The construction of the barn would continue over the course of two years, and today it serves as an excellent example of the early era of agricultural research done by the government. The structure was built to replace the previous barn that had been lost in a fire, and it was used for the breeding program of livestock at the farm. In 1937, the mainline Ford building was built by the North Star Oil Company, It was one of the first gas stations to be constructed in southeastern Saskatchewan. Designed in the art modern style, it features a round rocket ship inspired design in the northeast corner of the building. Mainline Motors would purchase the building to service vehicles occupying it until the 1960s. Today, the building continues to stand and is a landmark of the central business district of Indian Head. One can associate the residential school system with tuberculosis and tuberculosis with the residential school system. We had indigenous parents, communities, students, church employees, teachers, and individuals who are part of Indian Affairs, like Dr. Peter henderson Bryce, giving their critiques in their own time people hid when the tuberculosis screening came to their communities because they knew that the result of getting screened was that they they could be taken away. I believe a lot of people were used government officials who just thought they were doing the right thing. They were doing what they were told. First Nations, Métis, and Inuit peoples are already told our story. It's now time to tell the other side of the story. We need to take a serious look at parts of the system from the past that we may be replicating today i'm maya foster sanchez and this is the story of a national crime coming this fall follow us on apple podcasts spotify or wherever you get your podcasts on october 2nd 1946 eric peterson was born in indian head and he's gone on to become one of the most recognizable canadian actors in our history after gaining fame in theater circles for his play billy bishop goes to war which toured internationally and made it even to broadway peterson would begin to move into television he would gain national fame as leon robinovich a lawyer on the show street legal which ran from 1987 to 1994 and while that show made him famous his next show made him a canadian icon in 2004 he was cast as oscar leroy on corner gas playing the father to brett butt's lead character Brent Leroy. Over the course of his career, Peterson has won numerous awards. He was nominated for a Gemini Award in 1987, 1989, and every year from 1992 to 1995, winning three in total. He was also nominated for four Canadian Comedy Awards for his role on Corner Gas. And in 2013, he was presented with the Governor General's Performing Arts Award for his lifetime contributions to Canadian theatre.
1: Part of the object in my career has been to try and establish film and television and and do work here in this country with having without having to leave the country as an actor in order to get my um, you know to realize my uh, my dreams I'd, I'd rather be able to stay in my own country and realize them here and that's been a big part of it and actually to be a, uh, given this uh, honor from the country is is, re- is very significant to me. Is it gonna help you find work? Well again I, I, an old fellow like me who says Well, of course, we always worry about the prize being the kiss of death for work. I may never work again. But that's an actor's state of mind, is that when you're not working, you go, I will never work again. No one will ever ask me. It's well, and could or could not happen. But yeah. So I'm trying to keep that thought out of my mind, that now that this award is coming, this is the last you will ever hear of Harry Peterson, the Canadian actor. (laughs) but it's and and the other thing is i have to say is both my parents have passed away because i mean they would have to have been three thousand years old to be still alive today so but it's it's at a time like this this would have been my mother and my father would have been so uh chuffed so pleased to know that i got this award and be part of it that's 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 my only regret getting it now i wish i well you can't get them earlier because you need to have a life you need to accumulate a lifetimes achievement so also be known for speaking your mind on some of the political politics around our film and, and TV industry will will this award give you a platform to perhaps say something about how things are or ought to be well I don't know uh, if they'll give me a platform I don't think it's I mean it's it, it, it is somewhat in um, bad manners to get an award and then complain bitterly about <laughs> the system here so <laughs> I could do both if you'd like uh, no, that has it has been true. I have uh, I have made my opinions known and tried to or, you know um, uh, for Canadian culture. That is culture. That's you know it's not not the Americans up here. It's not us going to the Americans. It's in the face of the global fog that most of the world lives in now. I mean global fog. When I say the the cultural expression we see in our world now, a lot of it's global, and of course in this country a lot of it's American. But I my my goal is to see more uh, more uh, resources put into canadian uh, produced uh, film and television here and and also to make sure that our our uh, theater scene is sustainable in some way and that's important to me i think it's important for a country to have a culture and it's important to have cultural workers and they have to be able to you know live between jobs somehow they have to be able to put food in their mouth and that's that is, um, you know, I think, too, technically, I mean, the technological revolution, this is a real opportunity for, you know, we all have the same size audience now, so if we were to actually capitalize our industry here, uh, the Canadian industry here, I think we could, you know, it's, a, it's an opportune time because we do have the ability now to sell to the whole world as well as to ourselves. More like the music scene, you know, um, example. But that's a long battle in this country. It's a big. We have, uh, you know, uh, we do live next door to the biggest cultural machine the world has ever seen, and we do welcome them here, both as uh, uh, their their uh, programming as as well as they make uh, the 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 American industries up here are making a lot of stuff too.
0: He not forgotten about his hometown either. He currently owns a cottage nearby at Catapua Lake with his wife Anne Kidder, sister of the late Margot Kidder. On July 23rd, 1954, an odd event occurred when an explosion ripped through the Indian Head Hospital. The blast occurred at 4.15am in the boiler room of the hospital, and it destroyed one wing of the hospital. In the hospital at the time, there were 18 patients and a night nurse, but thankfully no one was injured in the blast. Everyone was evacuated from the building and no fire occurred, but the fire brigade was ready on standby just in case. Four patients were taken to their homes, while the other 14 patients were sent to nearby Capel. The wing that was destroyed contained the emergency light plant, heating plant, and x-ray room. Within that wing of the hospital, everything was destroyed, with the walls blown out and the roof collapsed and rubble scattered 300 feet around the area. Several windows were blasted out of the hospital and in nearby buildings, and in all, the explosion caused $50,000 in damages. In 2007, Indian Head was made famous nationally when it became the shooting location of the CBC show, Little Mosque on the Prairie. The show focused on a Muslim community in the fictional Saskatchewan town of Mercy. And while the show was shot in the Toronto area, exterior shots of the community, including the mosque, were shot in Indian Head, as well as many scenes within the community. The town hall, local car dealership, and the Novia Cafe all played important parts as settings within the show. The show would run for six seasons from 2007 to 2012 and received a great deal of coverage internationally including in the New York Times, the Washington Times, CNN, NPR and the BBC. Its first episode also brought in 2.1 million viewers which was the largest audience for CBC for an entertainment program in a decade. If you'd like to learn more about the history of Indian Head you can visit the fantastic local museum that is housed in the old Indian Head Fire Hall that was built in 1907. The museum is two floors and along with the fire hall building features the former horse stable, the museum yard, the military building, the country garage, and the carpenter and blacksmith shops. Within the museum, there's also 5,000 artifacts, photos, and histories that depict the story of the area from the days of the indigenous all the way up to today. I hope you enjoyed that episode and my look at Indian Head, Saskatchewan. If you did, please leave a rating and review. If you like, you can email me at craig at You can find me on Twitter. My handle is Craig Baird, C-R-A-I-G-B-A-I-R-D, and I'm on Instagram at Bairdo37. As well, again, if you want to support the podcast, you can for as little as $3 a month. Just go to patreon.com slash CanadaEHX. And you can donate to the podcast by going to CanadaEHX.com and clicking Donate. And I also want to thank all of my wonderful patrons. And I apologize if I get any names incorrect. Martin Strach, Sarah White, Tom McMillan, Mike Sullivan, Wendy Mills, Keelan Prignitz, Michael Matthews, Joanna Parker, Jeff Dahl, Vobbs, Robert Page, Richard T, Colin Johnson, Jeff Hershey, Kyle Murray, Steve Pakin, Matthew Gartho, Lionel Romaine, Dr. Bob Turner, Randy Hayden, Doug Campbell, Reg W., Deborah Carlson, Francis Helbling, Nixon Ree, Shannon Marshall, Clinton Martinez, Dimitri Shove, Aaron O'Hara Myers, Robert Dunseeth, Todd Casey, Catherine Rois, Luke S, JP Bear, Jason Hall, Phil Maynard, and Iris Gray. Thanks, and we'll see you again next time.